Good morning to you. Welcome to Trinity Barbecue. Can you smell it? If you're joining us online this morning, there are just some things you can't experience online. And if you're not here, we have uh, a barbecue chef in the back who is excellent, and uh, he's serving meals today, and we're supporting American Heritage Girls. Just a little background. For, for years, we had a Boy Scout troop here at, at Trinity, and uh, had quite su- a successful troop, uh, several, what's the highest uh, honor there? Eagle Scout. Yes, we had several Eagle Scouts that came through Trinity, and of course, Boy Scouts shifted, and so we decided to go to a faith-based group uh, called Trail Life. And then American Heritage Girls is a program that uh, for the for the girls that goes along with that. So we're, we appreciate those who serve in those areas, and we appreciate everyone who volunteers to make that happen. And so they needed a little bit of help this uh, with this budget year. So you're helping them out by uh, with the meal this morning. So thanks for doing that. Welcome to Trinity. The ladies have been here all weekend. They had a great conference, I hear. I look forward to hearing details. I think it was a success. On Wednesday, you might wonder what we do all week. And sometimes people ask me, what do you do all week? You know, well, we hosted the uh, Valley Women's Clinic Prayer Breakfast, or you might know it as the PRC, the the old name. Uh, And uh, we had about around 30 pastors here at Trinity for breakfast. We had a great time of prayer. But I think I came away, the most encouraging thing was having fellowship with other pastors that we haven't seen in two years. You know, everybody's been doing their thing and every pastor's been uh, trying to keep things going and it was just great to see their faces and to shake their hands and pray together and we just had a great time of fellowship. So... Uh, there are about 60 churches that support the PRC, and we had close to half of them represented here. And it, you know, it reminded me, sometimes the ministry can be a lonely place. Did you know that? You probably think, people around all the time, how can ministry be lonely? I can remember times uh, when I was pastoring in different places, and very lonely. I had very little fellowship with other pastors, so uh, I've decided as time has gone on that course John and I have fellowship all the time but sometimes you just need to get with others and pray together and what is encouraging is to know how many gospel preaching churches there are in this area we are not the only one we don't have a corner on truth we we proclaim the truth and the word of God but there are plenty of others who do too so that was very encouraging to me to know that they're keeping on going and so if you want to pray for churches around that are preaching the gospel that's a great thing to do we have guests this morning welcome we're glad that you're here if you're joining us online today for the first time we're glad you might be looking for john if you're uh, checking in today i'm brian he's taking a few weeks break and giving me an opportunity to preach so i'm thankful for that and i hope that uh, he's getting some good rest too by the way the report from the prc was uh, that clients were up last year at the two sites at, at Radford University and Virginia Tech, and 88% of those that they counseled chose life. So I think that is a big praise this morning that we wanted to share with you. And so uh, you keep praying for the PRC. And when you support missions here at Trinity, you're, that's one of the ministries in our community that you are supporting. Well, we're in the book of Joshua. If you'd like to turn there this morning, we're in a series entitled Transitions. And a number of you have related to me how that uh, this series has applied to your life and how maybe you're in transition of some type or you didn't even realize you were in transition until we started going through this series and we saw the, uh, the work of Joshua as he led two to three million people into the land. It was a conquest of faith. There are a lot of decisions in life that require us to trust God. You know, it's not always clear what the direction is going to be, but it is very clear who is leading us and where we're going. That's true for a church. That's true for uh, any Christian organization, but it's also true for all believers and families. You know, if you're the leader of the family, sometimes 
you look at life and you say, how in the world are we going to accomplish this? And how is God going to provide? And he asks us to take steps of faith and to trust him and to believe him. And so I hope you're making application uh, as we go through this historic book, which is a narrative. Uh, it, it just says what happened. It doesn't uh, necessarily apply to our lives sometimes. It's not to the church, but it is for the church. And so I hope that we're picking up lessons as we go along that um, we can apply to our lives. Heard of Hudson Taylor, the great missionary? Anybody heard of Hudson Taylor? You've heard that name. Where, where was he from? England. Did you know that England sent missionaries at one time? And uh, so he was a Brit who went where? To China. He founded the China Inland Mission. So this was years ago, and he was a great... Um, statesman for missions, but he was also a great encourager of missionaries. But sometimes he asks some hard questions. So this is the message before the message this morning to kind of prime the pump. Y'all are awake and with me this morning, got your thinking cap on. So let me prime the pump here a little bit. Hudson Taylor said to a group of young missionaries one time, there are three ways to serve God. The first one is this. Make the best plans you can and hope they succeed. Now, we kind of laugh at that, but that's what we do in life a lot of times, isn't it? You know, even as believers, sometimes we strike out on life and somehow the Bible gets separated from life. And we, we choose a good profession, we choose a good major in college, we head out into life, and that's a, that's a great thing to do. But uh, this is just one way... Taylor said that you can serve God. The, the other way you can serve God is to make your own plans and then ask God to bless them. No show of hands, but has anybody ever done that? I think a lot of us have done that. Maybe we didn't know the Lord early in life, or maybe we weren't walking, or maybe we didn't have a challenge teaching from the Word of God that taught us uh, to, to, uh, to follow God and to walk with him with every decision in life. And of course, the best one is to seek God's plan and do what he tells you. That's what we want to do. God knows the way. Uh, that old song, remember the song I just came to my mind, God knows the way through the wilderness. All we have to do is what? Follow. You remember that song from way back, maybe in children's ministry somewhere? God knows the way through the wilderness. We certainly are living in a wilderness in life, aren't we? And in this world. And so we need God to go before us. Well, I'm in Joshua chapter 6 this morning. I've, these are long chapters, but I've been reading uh, the narrative so that you can follow along. If you're looking at 27 verses and saying we'll be here all day, well, we're not going to look at every single verse. This is kind of a, a topical uh, look at these chapters and a little different approach. But we're in chapter 6, and we're at the miracle of the, the falling of the walls of Jericho. You follow along as I read. Now, Jericho was secretly or was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all of you men of war, and you shall go around the city once. This you shall do for six days." And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass, verse 5, when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Then Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, 
Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your mouth, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout, and then you will shout." So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. They came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened. When the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua had said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and, a tr- and trouble it. But all the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet that the people shouted with a great shout and that wall, or the, that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city and they utterly destroyed uh, all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep, and donkey with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all of her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out to spy out Jericho. Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the country. As, as I thought of uh, this passage this morning, I thought of questions that I've had over the years in ministry. I'll share a couple of them with you. I'll tell you a little bit about human nature. Uh, I've had people ask me, was God right to destroy all those people? And I would have to say, well, you have to listen to the first three words of that question. Was God right? Well, God's always right, isn't he? He's never wrong. He's never made a mistake. But sometimes... 
we look at some of the brutality of the Old Testament. I remember in Bible college there was a student from the Middle East and he just couldn't stand those passages where God destroyed his enemies. But let me tell you this. We're not God and we don't know all of his ways. A lot of times he used evil men to destroy evil men. He used his people to destroy evil. So uh, we don't know all of God's ways. We just have to say that's the way God did it. That's what the narrative says, and uh, we leave that with him. Now here's the other question people have asked me through the years. This will tell you how, uh, where the pastor is sometimes when people ask questions. Here's the other question. Why does God wait so long to deal with evil? Now, that's a completely different question. You know, and I'll be honest with you, I struggle with it, don't you? I struggle with it in the day that we live. Why, how can people get by with such lies and with uh, such sinful lives and actions? And sometimes we say, why, do, you know, we kind of blame God both ways. Why does he uh, wipe out these evil nations? And then why doesn't God do more about evil? Well, I'm going to leave those two questions to your study groups this week, okay? Now, let me just tell you, don't, don't get upset with each other about your answers. You can take sides of questions like this, and you can talk about them and be civil if you're going to discuss things like this. But uh, this is a narrative passage. So in narrative passages, we merely read what God did and what he says. And... So you've got to be careful reading the New Testament back into the Old Testament. You know, we, we can see principles and we can see things from Scripture that we sometimes uh, take and put back in the Old Testament, which God, he just told us what happened. And this is one of those narrative passages. But there's plenty of application here. This, this is an extraordinary book, uh, the book of Joshua. It's a book of miracles. It's a book of, about God and his power and what he does. And yet he brought along a great leader named Joshua. Now we know that if you, if you haven't been here for the series, we know that Moses was the leader and Moses died along with most of the older generation in the wilderness. But then he's raised up Joshua to lead them into the land. And here's a new generation and they're finally going into the land that God has promised. But there's a problem. There was a river at flood stage. We covered that uh, last week. What happened? God stopped that river. I believe it. I believe he held up the waters. And I believe what he said about crossing on dry ground until that uh, two to three million people and all their livestock and all their goods were across that river. And then the river returned to flood stage. That was a miracle that only God could do, and I believe that he did it because he said he did. So now they come to the land, and there's another problem. It's, it's inhabited by the enemy. Generations of enemies that go back hundreds of years, some, some thousands of years, that uh, had inhabited this land, but it belonged to the people of God, and he had promised it to them. He said, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be a good land, and you're to rise up and go in and take it and live in the land. So it's a military conquest. And, and Joshua is a great military leader, but do you know what Joshua's greatest ability was? Now, somebody would say, heard old Dr. Bob Jones preach that message, the greatest ability is what? Availability. I've heard that, but that's, that is true, but not in this passage necessarily. It's his obedience. Now, he's a strategist. He's a leader. He's, he's sizing up the land, and he's thinking, how are we going to do this military conquest? But at the same time, God is saying to Joshua, okay, Joshua, you just need to, do what I say needs to be done. And so uh, it, was, it was a challenge to, to Joshua to follow God, and same is true for us, isn't it? We have to take God at his word and follow him and do what he says. Now, I didn't skip chapter 5 
because it wasn't important. I think you're going to have to bring me another mic, guys. I don't know what the challenge is with these things, but I know that's irritating. Joshua had a plan for conquering the land, but who had the overall plan? Well, it was God himself. And if you can imagine God bringing Joshua into the huddle and saying, Okay, Joshua, here's the plan. So who was in the huddle? It was Joshua and it was God. And God didn't reveal to the whole nation or to the whole army what he was going to do. He revealed it to Joshua and over time, Joshua gave them in steps. Here's what we're to do. We're to take this step, and we're to take this step, and we're to take that step. Now, the first offensive of the land. Now, imagine that you're a military leader. You have 40,000 soldiers uh, in your army. And you come to this offensive. Give me just a minute here. Let's try again. Can you hear me okay? You come to this offensive of taking the land. You have studied uh, the land. You know how you would like to, to do this military conquest. And then here's what God says. I'll tell you what you're going to do, Joshua. You're going to go in and you're going to march around the walls of this great city, this great fortress of Jericho, six days, one time. The seventh day, you're going to go in and you're going to march around seven times, and on the last time, the priests are going to blow the shofar and the walls of the city are going to fall down. Now, if God told you that, what would you say? I would probably say, you have got to be kidding. Is that the best plan that you have? Um, it reminds me of trying to run the football twice, and you get no yards, and so the third time you call, on third and nine, you call for a run up the middle because you're trying to establish the run game. Pet peeve of mine, but... Uh, I want to say, and I sometimes do, is that the best play that you can call? Well, I know it's basketball season, by the way. But Joshua must have wondered, what in the world is God up to? You know, is, is this the best call that God can make? Well, here's the thing. And here's the thing that impresses me most about Joshua. There is no indication that he ever questioned God. Now, I know it's a narrative passage. I know that God just tells us the story. Uh, some of the details aren't here, but God never says that Joshua questioned him at all. And so one of his great abilities was being able to uh, listen to God and do what God said. Now, let me ask you this. Can you imagine what 40,000 soldiers would have said when Joshua revealed what they were going to do? Now, these were military guys. They were armed. They were trained. But there's no indication that they ever disobeyed Joshua at all because they were together. They looked back. They knew what God had done. They looked forward to what God would do. And so they, they trusted Joshua and they trusted God. But can you imagine when they were marching around that great fortress of Jericho what the soldiers on the other side were saying? Can you imagine the calls from the wall? Hey, what do you think you guys are doing? You think you're going to march around the, the city and the walls are going to fall down? And yet, the Bible says that they didn't say a word. Now, that might be the greatest miracle of all. You take a bunch of military guys, they're marching around, the, the other side is heckling them. They didn't say a word. They just kept marching around day after day like God had told them. Now, there's a lot of lessons from this chapter. 
And let me, let me just say a while ago, I meant to say, and I got off track, that I didn't skip chapter 5 on purpose. Uh, chapter 5 is very important, but uh, I, this is not a 24-week series, okay? So I'm hitting some of the highlights. But there are two important things about chapter 5. One is that God completely incapacitated the army as soon as they crossed the river. He said, okay, guys, these 40,000 men who had never been circumcised, he said, line up, we're going to circumcise all the soldiers. They left Egypt, they'd come through the, the wilderness, they'd never been circumcised. Now, if, if you're not familiar with that term and you ask your parent, what, does, what is circumcision, I'll let you do that, I'll let you ask them. You ask your mom and she'll say, oh, it was minor surgery. And then you ask your dad and he'll say, it was major surgery. Enough that he incapacitated the entire army for weeks. Who would do that? Who would bring an army to the beginning of a conquest and then totally incapacitate them for weeks? Well, that's what God did. Why did he do it? You'll have to ask him why he did it. But here's why I think he did it to prove to them this is not your battle. You can't win it in your own strength, and if you do what I say, you can't lose because I have the plan. And in that chapter 5, the last few verses, he has an encounter with an angelic being, I think a theophany, who when a man appeared any time in the Old Testament, who was it? It was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus himself. The second person of the Trinity came down and he met with Joshua. And I'll just summarize, you can read it for yourself. When he saw this man with a sword in his hand, he automatically thought, are they for us or against us? So he he asked him, he said, are you for us or are you against us? And basically, here's what he said, neither one, I'm here to take charge. And so he basically said to Joshua, Joshua, I'm going before you. I'm going to lead you. This is my battle. This is not yours. What you're to do is to obey and to do what God tells you to do. And so that's what Joshua did. He obeyed God. He never questioned what God said. And he followed the Lord into battle. Now, let me give you a little background about Jericho. The city of Jericho is one of the oldest continually inhabited cities on earth. Excavations have resulted in evidence of 23 different generations of people who lived on the site of ancient Jericho. A mighty fortress this city was, and 23 generations had lived there. Uh, It was relocated at least two times, one of which we know why because it was totally destroyed. And God said nobody will inhabit it again. But there's a modern day of Jericho, 17 miles northeast of Jerusalem on the main highway from Jerusalem to Amman, Jordan. Anybody been there? Few of you have. It's known as the city of palms because of the palm trees. Uh, It is an oasis in the desert, I understand. And it's the lowest... uh, At 800 feet below sea level, it's the lowest city on earth when it comes to sea level. But that's not the the city we're talking about today. That's the modern Jericho. Here's the ancient Jericho. Um, This is the one that was totally destroyed. And that's what God said he was going to do. He was going to totally destroy this fortified city because, and, and it would never be rebuilt. And God said in verse 26, if you try it, you're going to do it at the peril of your firstborn. You're going to lose your children if you try to go and rebuild the city. So it was never rebuilt. But here's some of the details that have been revealed in sort of the last hundred years or, or so of research and of excavations. The original Jericho was not a large city about seven acres in its entirety. How big is an acre? Well, about 208.71 feet by 208.71 feet. 
not very large, seven times that. Uh, by the way, you know how you uh, measure an acre. My grandpa taught me this years ago. Uh, an average man's step is three feet. So if you uh, do about uh, 70 steps in this direction and about 70 steps in that direction, you have an acre. So if you want to make sure the person that is selling you an acre of land is not a crook, you can check it out for yourself, okay? Of course, you can check the surveyor. But seven acres then would be approximately 1,500 feet by 1,500 feet. So not a very large city. Maybe seven or eight football fields would fit inside the city. So that gives you an idea of the size of the city. But it wasn't the size that was so important. It was the fortification of Jericho. It was an impregnable city, a fortress. It had double walls. The walls were so wide that houses were built upon the wall. Remember Rahab's house where she let the spies down outside the city wall? The two good spies, not the, the duds that went in before, but the two good spies, the Navy SEALs that went in and said, we're going to take the land and we're, we're going to figure out how, how we're going to do it. So Rahab took them in. She let them down by night outside. Her house was on this wall. That's how big this wall was around the city. When the gates were closed, no man could enter. Generations had tried. No one had ever been able to conquer Jericho. Um, after Jericho fell, excavations reveal this. There was a spring in the middle, so they had all the water they needed. There were also huge barrels of grain. See, it was harvest time that had just been harvested. And when God destroyed the city by fire, those, those uh, containers of grain were still left there. They thought they had enough water and food that they could outlast an invading army for years. This was Jericho. That was strategically placed. It was at the head of the entrance to the valley. So you had to go through Jericho to get to the rest of the land. So they had this fortress that had never, ever come close to falling, and it was dead in the, the way of the way that Joshua and his army had to go. So a little bit of information about Jericho. If you're, if you're a questioner or a doubter, you can do your own research. You can go back and look at what archaeology has um, discovered. Now, this is also a great military book. Great generals through the generations have read Joshua and picked up on his strategy. James Montgomery Boyce says this, At one time, the brilliant uh, British field marshal Edmund H. Allenby must have studied the book too, for Joshua's strategy was the one he adopted in his successful liberation of Palestine in World War I. Palestine is a hilly country. The major passage through it is a connecting road that runs from the south to the north to the highest portions of the land. Joshua's strategy and Allenby's was to drive westward from the Jordan Valley to that high road, thus dividing the country. Then when the enemy forces were divided, they would first destroy the opposition in the south, then they would destroy the opposition in the north. And so this is the outline of what Joshua did in chapter 6 through 11. I'm not going to cover all that, but I think it's very interesting that this... What God did here has been studied by armies down through the centuries and by leaders in conventional warfare. Before the country could be divided, a wedge had to be driven from the Jordan River Valley to the mountains. The first obstacle was Jericho. Jericho was a military fortress built to defend the eastern approach to the high country. It could not be bypassed. To bypass Jericho would mean an, a, a bad mistake, and that would be to leave a mighty force at your rear, which you, you never do. You never leave a force that can ambush you from the rear. So they had to go through Jericho and take it first. 
So in view of the land, lay of the land, the distribution of towns and fortresses, the strategic plan was to drive a wedge between the enemy's line of defense in order to conquer the land in three campaigns, one in the center, one to the south, one to the north. They attacked the central portion first, which prepared the way for operations to the south and then the north. Here's the strategy. Drive a wedge. I'm sorry, take the high ground, drive a wedge, and then defeat the strongholds before moving on to the weaker cities in the land. This strategy has been followed down through the years by military leaders, and it came from God. It came from Scripture, conventional warfare. But this is not conventional warfare. This is like life. It's supernatural warfare. You you can have all the plans, you can have all the details, you can do everything right and think, my life is going to be perfect, and without God, it's just a big mess. It's just failure after failure. It's just shortcoming after shortcoming. No satisfaction, no no sense of, of, of God's hand on your life. You can have all the plans, and the plans not go right. So... Who is, whose plans are you following for life? Well, Joshua is a great example. He followed God's plan. And so as we think of overcoming strongholds or breaking down strongholds, let's look at a, a few things that, that Joshua did to break this stronghold of Jericho. And then I hope I can apply it to life. Here's the first thing Joshua did. He believed God could do it. Why? Because that was his God. A mighty God. The God of the Bible. The God of his people. The God who brought them across the Red Sea. The God who now had brought them across the Jordan River. And the God who said to Joshua, Joshua, I have given you the land. Now all you have to do is obey and do exactly what I tell you to do. Did Joshua believe God? You tell me what you think. Absolutely he did. He believed God. He said, if God says he'll do it, he will do it. If God says he's going to do it, I'm, I'm going to obey and I'm going to follow him. So he believed God could do it. Not only that, he trusted God to do it. You say, that sounds like the same thing. Oh, no, it's not. You know, you, you can believe God in your mind... And never reveal what God has asked you to do to anybody else. And they will never know if you or God failed. When you take a step of faith and you step out and you say, Okay, God, I believe you can do it, but now I'm going to trust you and I'm going to risk everything I have on your faithfulness. I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to step out. And publicly, I'm going to express what you have told me privately. See, before this, it's all been between God and Joshua. But now, God is asking Joshua to ask his people to take a step with this crazy plan that God gave, humanly speaking. We're going to go and we're going to march around this mighty fortress that's never been defeated, this impregnable fortress, and on the seventh day, the walls are going to fall down. Well, God said he would do it. Joshua believed it. But now was the time for Joshua to be tested and to trust God. He had to step out. Do you see the difference? You know, he knew in his mind what God wanted to do, but now he had to publicly testify and say, this is our God, this is what he's commanded us to do. And all of the weight of the nation lay on Joshua, and really it lay on God to fulfill what he said he would do. So he trusted God could do it or to do it. He believed God could do it. He trusted God to do it. That was the easy part. Here's the hard part. He had to allow God to do it. You know, here's, he's, he's a military leader. He has an army of 40,000 men. You know, he has... Plans, he has strategies, he studied. And now here God is asking him, Joshua, you're not going to do anything at all. You're just going to watch me do it. 
Sometimes that's the hardest part because we want to do it. You know, we have our own plans. We have our own thoughts, and they may be good thoughts, but here's the question. Are they God's thoughts? Are they God's plans? Is this what God wants to accomplish and how He wants to accomplish it? Well, we know the story. Uh, and I've read the narrative. They, they obeyed God. They went and they marched around that city six days. On the seventh day, they marched around seven times early in the morning. And they held back the element of surprise. They blew that shofar and the people shouted. And you tell me what happened. Did God do what He said He would do? Absolutely. The walls of that great fortified city fell flat down. They marched right in there. They defeated the enemy. They totally destroyed and, and the city was destroyed by fire just like God said except for one part of the wall where Rahab's house stood. And God kept His promise to Rahab. He sent those Navy SEALs back in and He said, you go get Rahab and you get her family. And the passage very clearly says that God fulfilled to a T what He said that He would do and how He said that He would do it. Joshua's fame spread out through the land. There was, there was fear of this great army and, this great, uh, and fear of their great God. And Joshua got some of the credit, but who deserved the credit? He would have to say, God did it. Only God could do what happened at the Jordan and at the Jericho. That is our God. That's not just the Old Testament God, Joshua's God and Abraham's God. That's our God. He's the same today as He's ever been. He's just as powerful in our lives as He was in Joshua's life. We read these mighty conquests and we say, wow, look what God, only God could do that. Then we come down to life and we say, nothing can break down the strongholds that I face. Now let's apply this. for. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit apply this this morning, okay? Is our God the same God of Joshua? Absolutely. Does God still keep His promises? Does He still keep His word? Does He still do what He says He will do? Shake your head this way. He does. He's the same. He hasn't changed. Society has changed. Our thoughts about God have changed. God has been destroyed in most of uh, our country and in, in most of our public systems, but he's still the same God that he was that day when he broke down those walls at Jericho. So, how can God break down strongholds in my life? What's a stronghold? Well, it's something that controls you and literally, it's Satan's control in your life. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you've never invited Him into your life and you've never known the, the gospel that we sang about this morning, the work of the cross, who Christ is, God who left heaven, came down, died on a cross, was buried, and rose again the third day for our sins so that Satan no longer could have a stronghold in our life. It's hard to understand, but you're under the control of Satan until Christ breaks that control. That's a stronghold. That impregnable control over our lives like this fortress that they said could not be defeated. There's only one who can defeat that, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. When He comes into your life and He changes you, and He says, Satan, He no longer belongs to you. He now belongs to me. I'm here to take over. The same Jesus who told that to Joshua tells that to Satan and says, He now belongs to me. He's no longer yours. And when our lives are changed, we see what God can do in a life that we never thought could be changed. But He, he does change lives, and He has. But then there are things in our lives that 
we seem as even as believers not to be able to overcome. Things in our lives that maybe our whole life we fought in our Christian life. You know, we all have sins. We all have struggles. We all have particular sin that we struggle with in life. And sometimes it defeats us time and time again. We confess it. And we turn from it. And then we turn back to it. But it, it's become a stronghold in our life. Satan uses something to get such, such a, a control of us that uh, we go through life struggling. And we go through life, the Christian life, feeling like a failure. Feeling like, God, I have confessed this to you so many times, but here I am again. That's a stronghold. That's a stronghold of Satan. By the way, be careful the little things that you allow Satan to get his fingers in because they become big things. And if you don't uh, give small things to the Lord as you go on in life, they become bigger things. They become strongholds. So how can we break these? Well, we can't. We've tried and we can't. We've tried and we failed. But I'll tell you somebody who can defeat them. It's Joshua's God. God Almighty. The God of the Old Testament who is the God of the New Testament, who is the God of the present, the past, the present, and the future. He's still the same God. He is still breaking down strongholds in the lives of people who believe Him and say to Him, Lord, You have said that You can do this. I'm going to believe You. Do you believe God? That's a personal question. You know, do you really believe that God can break down a stronghold in your life that you've never been able to defeat, never been able to overcome? Well, that's where you've got to start because God can do it. But He's the only one that can do it. You must believe God can do it. Not only that, you've got to trust Him to do it. You have to trust, you know, uh, you could, just like Joshua, you can say, I believe God, but at some point he asked Joshua to step out and to say, I'm, I'm risking everything to God's faithfulness. I'm, I'm making myself vulnerable to God. I'm admitting to God. Maybe you make yourself vulnerable to somebody else and you go and you say, I'm struggling with this. This is something in my life I can't overcome and I'm trusting God to do it. Will you pray with me? Will you encourage me? Will you help me? You might be surprised how many people around you are struggling with similar things. And believing God is the first step but trusting God is the second step, to step out on faith and say, okay, this is risky. I'm abandoning it all to God. I'm saying to God, I'm going to trust you to do this. I'm going to lay this at your feet. I'm going to ask you to do what I have not been able to do. I'm going to ask you to break down the stronghold and trust you to do it. And then the hard part comes. Allowing... God to do it. Now, I think this is where we struggle the most because you know what this means? Complete surrender. It means complete surrender to God. It means running up the white flag and saying, okay, God, I give up. I surrender. The truth is, a lot of times we don't want to surrender. We want to hang on. We want to keep control. We want to work our plan. We want to do what we want to do. When God says, you're going to have to let me do it. You can't do it. You haven't been able to do it. But I can do it. You have to allow me to do it. That means God has to have complete control. You know, here Joshua was a great military man and he had this plan and then God came along and said, here's how I'm going to do it. And what did Joshua have to do? He had to say, okay God, I, I completely surrender to you. As absurd maybe as it sounds, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it your way. And we see what happened. God did 
for Joshua and his people what he said he would do. Now, how about us? Strongholds. Things we've never been able to defeat in our Christian lives. Do you believe God can do it? He can. Will you trust Him to do it? I hope you will. Will you allow Him to do it? I want to pray for us this morning, but here's how I want to conclude as your heads are bowed. Maybe you're here today and the Holy Spirit has said to you, you know, you've never surrendered your life to me in the first place. You're still in control of your life. You're still hanging on because you want to call the shots. You want to be in charge. You have your own plan. Maybe you're watching us online this morning and God's saying to you, you've never totally surrendered your life to me. You've never totally said, okay, God, this is your plan. This is your gospel. I'm going to believe what you say about yourself and about your son. And I'm going to trust him to change my life and to do the things in my life that I've never been able to do. Father, you know us better than we know ourselves. Joshua must have had a plan and he must have been a great leader because we see the success of what happens when he goes into the land and how they conquer the land. But you had a better plan because it was your plan. You knew what you wanted to do. You knew what you wanted to accomplish. You knew the faith that you wanted to build in their lives as a result of trusting you. And here we are uh, centuries later. Yet the truth is we have our own plan for our lives. Sometimes we even ask you to bless our plans and what you're saying to us is I want you to surrender to my plan. This is what I want to do in your life. You can't do it. I can do it. You have to believe me. You can't do it. I can do it. You have to trust me. You can't do it. I can do it. You have to allow me to do in your life what you cannot do. And Father, I know your promises, that you've promised to deliver us from the strongholds of the evil one because he is no match for you. You're the creator God who created him. You are uh, greater than he that is in the world and you're greater in our lives even in this day in which we live than Satan himself and his strongholds. Would you work in our lives? Would we surrender to you and say to you, Lord, I'm not only going to believe you and trust you, but I'm going to allow you to do it. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Joshua. But thank you that you're still the same God in 2022 that you were some 3,000 years ago and that you want to do a work not only in our lives, but in the lives of people around us who are controlled by the evil one. We ask you, Father, to help us as we point other people to Jesus Christ as a, as a church and as believers on a daily basis. But this morning, Father, help us to examine our own lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.